Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is Comfort Films. Welcome to the first episode of Comfort Films. Yes. So John and I are a married couple and uh-huh. we're pretty big movie buffs. We, we watch a lot of movies. We talk about movies all the time too, incessantly. Yeah. Probably too much to the, you know, if you ask our friends. Right. Um, but basically we have an example from a movie for everything, a line from a movie for everything. Yeah. And we just love movies. Um, so we're the last white people in the world who didn't have a podcast. <laughs> so during the pandemic, we decided to make our way into our giant bedroom closet mm-hmm. and stuff with clothes, yes. um, to try to, uh, pick the thing that we like to talk about the most and talk about it for a while in the hopes that somebody might want to hear our lips flapping. So that's what Comfort Films uh, was born out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, basically we love movies. We watch a ton of movies. And when we started talking about, you know, what would we want to talk about in the podcast, our thought was um, the idea of Comfort Films. And that was actually John's thought. Uh, so I what did. made I you think that? about that? Oh, yeah, well, that okay. Was All right. Pretty good. All right. I, um, well, just because, yeah, I, I mean, we spend so much time looking at movies. I mean, I try to calculate how many movies I've seen over the years and I've seen, I don't know, over 3000, I think they're like a lot of movies. I like try to keep track. It's hard for me to keep track, but I watch at least a movie a day, usually two. And I've been like this forever. And you know, you can have, like, a friend in a video game. You can have a friend in real life. You can have a friend on the phone. Or you could have a friend, you know, on, on a, a TV screen or a, a movie screen, you know. And for me, it was like, hey, what do I do, you know, for fun? I watch a movie. You know, what do I do if I'm feeling happy? I watch a movie. If I'm feeling down, I watch a movie. If I'm feeling in between, I watch a movie. And it just allows me to go outside of myself. I love being able to travel somewhere else. I love being able to see what other people do, what they think, what's happening, what's funny. You know, what do I have in common with other people? Um, it's it's just something that, that I've, I've always loved. Like, I've talked about movies so much in my life that people will try to get me to just, sh- just shut up. Just, yeah. just straight, just Believe, sh- Yeah, people you know? want us to both shut up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think actually we should slow it down for just a second um, with the idea that potentially someone might run upon this podcast who is not already a friend or family member of us. Right. And they might want to know who we are and why in the world they should listen to what we think about movies. Besides the fact that we've seen million <laughs> movies or whatever together. Yeah. Thousands of movies at least. Um, so the reason that I think we have some potential insight into movies besides the fact that we've seen a lot, um, is that, well, I, my name is George. I'm an English major. I'm, I have a master's degree in English. I've read a lot of books in addition to watching a lot of movies. And so I understand story structure and it's something that I am interested in, uh, stories, characters, how these types of, uh, things can give a message and show us something about ourselves and about the world around us 
Um, and yeah, how about you, John? What makes you think you're qualified to talk <laughs> movies? I I mean, I don't know if I'm qualified. I just I, I love them. I I've been interested in acting since I was a kid. I I started acting when I was very young. I used to dance around in my aunt's kitchen i would use like one of those uh dish scrubbers that had all like those little look like i don't know like fuzzy french fries that would come out of it and i would (laughs) use a microphone i'd be on the walkman and i'd slide around and and you know sing all these songs she had like a linoleum floor and it was great because she had this rug that would just kind of slide around the floor so i thought i could make some pretty cool moves with that so um (laughs) Yeah, I mean, anyway. So that so, definitely qualifies you. That, that, <laughs> that, that is the sole qualification that I have, and right. that's it. No, I, well, I, Thank God she brought she bought that dish scrubber, <laughs> otherwise we would not be here today. And, and let's thank everyone. You know, let's thank my parents for the Walkman <laughs> and uh, the people over the years, the friends and family that gave me cassettes. <laughs> and batteries, because you need that too. But, yeah, I started, you know, when I was very young doing things. Like when I was in kindergarten, I have a a play that I was in where I was doctor quiz and my mom always loved it. And I got this kind of really big bushy mustache, which I can't really grow in the later years, but you know, I had it back then and I had like a a professor hat and um, that's, that's where I started. And then I started doing theater when I was in high school a lot and I got involved in a lot of musicals and then I would do summer theater and then I would, volunteer at different theaters then going into college uh i majored in theater did a lot of theater a lot of musicals there once i graduated from college i had my own theater company out in boston uh, where i worked and now uh many years later uh you know shakespeare different shows uh film school I uh, find myself in Los Angeles. Uh, we've been out here for about 10 years, and I've been on shows such as Workaholics, Marin, uh, Kidding. Yeah. So I, I've been doing things for a while, and I, I love doing it. So, yeah, I yeah, feel like we, I can... We both like writing. We both like watching film. We both like reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so stories are important to us very much and we keep coming back to certain ones again and again yes Um, i do the same thing with books um i don't think you're a book rereader as much as i am at least i'm I'm a tear i'm terrible at reading i should be better at reading you know yeah you read a lot of more nonfiction because you're john's super focused on you know learning and being really good at writing and all of these things whereas i think i'm a little bit more into fiction and just you know escaping into the story this could be because my day job is non-creative in every possible way so i'm looking for any way to escape into a fictional world so i'm not just thinking about project management which is horrendous um anyway so that's how we find ourselves in our big old closet in our tiny little apartment. Yes. Talking to you today about what movie? Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, Raising Arizona is one of both of our favorite comfort films. Very um, much. The reason that we decided to focus on that one for this first episode 
is because when John was making his list, he had it on there already. And I said, oh, make sure you add Raising Arizona to the list. Uh, and he's like, it's already on there. Um, we've watched this movie a lot together. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely watched it a lot before John and I met, even. Um, so for both of us, this happens to be a movie that we go back to again and again um, for a variety of reasons, of which we shall discuss on this podcast. Um, so, John, do you want to go first and say why you would pick this as a comfort film or why this defines comfort film to you since maybe people are listening today without necessarily knowing what a comfort film is? Sure. A comfort film... Raising Arizona is a comfort film for me because it's something that takes me back to my childhood. So... This was released in theaters in 1987, and I grew up in the suburbs in Massachusetts, and uh, in Central Mass, and we had our own cable channel in my town. They actually had their own cable service, and they had uh, pay-per-view back then, where you would actually have to get on the phone, and you would pay, oh, I think four dollars, and you could, you know, rent a movie on your television, a new movie. So these movies would just play on repeat for a month at a time. That, that's the way that it would go. And I, I'm not quite sure why, but there was, there was a glitch in our town where if you called to rent this movie once, they never really shut it off. So I loved watching movies, and we didn't have HBO, and, you know, I didn't really like watching edited movies. I never did. So I would always find myself watching whatever was on. And Raising Arizona happened to be on. And so I would watch it over and over and over again. That's great. Yeah. I would have loved to have done that. I don't actually remember when the first time is that I saw this movie. Um, mm. My mother adored this film. So I believe that she must have seen it before me um, at some point. Uh, Maybe she and my dad went out to see it or something. And I knew quotes from this movie before I had actually seen the movie. Because my mom would just incessantly quote this movie. Especially uh, one of the lines where Nicolas Cage's character is robbing a convenience store and he has taken a a thing of pantyhose off and put it on his head usually one would cut off the legs but instead he has them flowing out behind him like you know desiccated weird bunny ears (laughs) and he stops a pickup truck driver and the driver looks at him and says son you have a panty on your head and my mom would say that so much that I'm sure people would think she was a crazy person because it's completely out of context if you haven't seen this movie. But she loved this quote. And I think for me, part of the reason that it kind of imprinted on me as a comfort film is because this is one of the times maybe that I saw people like me and who sounded like me on screen. Um, This is set in Arizona, so I'm not 100% sure why everyone has, like, this broad kind of southern hick accent, Mm. but everybody does. Like, everybody in this movie has this 
crazy accent. I mean, Holly Hunter is from the South, mm-hmm. but Nicolas Cage isn't, obviously, and he's got this crazy accent. Um, you have the John Goodman and, uh, is it William Forsyth characters yes. who also have these accents? Um, and, you know, these people live in trailers. I grew up in trailers. These aren't, you know, suburban rich kids um, who grew up, you know, hanging out at the country club on the weekends. These are kind of like people who are scrabbling to make it. And something about that appeals to me. Um, And then I think what we also talked about with why we would both consider this a comfort film is because it, it, it leaves you with kind of that warm feeling at the end, right? Yeah. So I guess I should scale back before I start talking about the end of the movie and give a quick synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen this. Um, If you haven't seen Raising Arizona, please watch it. It's great. Um, It is uh, filmed by the Coen brothers, so uh, written by Ethan and Joel Coen, directed by Joel Coen, produced by Ethan Coen. Um, And it stars Nicolas Cage, who probably will make a few more appearances on our Comfort Films list. because. No matter what you think of old Nick, he is uh, pretty great in a lot of films. Uh, and there's a lot of ones that we've enjoyed his performance in, and we go back again and again. Someday we'll talk about our cage matches that we've done with our friends, where we watch Nicolas Cage movies uh, in a row and decide what the best one is. Uh, Raising Arizona probably would have come out on top every time, so I don't think we would have included it in, yeah. the, in a cage match. Yeah, that's uh, tough to beat. Yeah, it I is. I mean, Moonstruck is, is high. Yeah, like, yeah. Moonstruck's oh, yeah. High. Moonstruck is amazing, too. And that's on the list as well. Future episode will be about Moonstruck, so stick around. Probably we'll wait a while before we dip into the Nicolas Cage well again. <laughs> yes. And also, we haven't mentioned this. Uh, w- this is our first go, and so uh, we're working out the bugs. But... This is going to be full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen it and you don't want to know anything about the movie, please watch the movie first um, because we really want to take it all apart and, and talk about it. Yeah, we that's just... good, good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a good point about the bugs, too. If you're listening to episode one, this is probably really going to feel like episode one um, <laughs> because we're... Not sure where we're going with this yet, but uh, we wanted to get in here and start it and just, uh, you know, let people know about us and what we like about movies. Um, Okay, so back to the plot uh, synopsis or movie synopsis here. Uh, So it's Nicolas Cage plays H.I. McDonough, who is a repeat offender, petty criminal, um, he does a lot of armed robberies, but it's not armed robbery if it if the gun's not loaded, yes. he says. Although he's not right about that in real life. But <laughs> that's the premise of the movie. He likes to do, uh, you know, basically the guy has no skills, uh, so he's a petty criminal. and he Okay, keeps... then. What? Oh, no, just the, the guy. You know, oh. the parole board. Oh, yes. That was, that was my attempt at humor. <laughs> I, yeah. don't remember, okay. I don't remember that. <laughs> Every time he goes to the parole board, okay, then. All right. I just remember the... I, re, I just keep thinking about the guy that says, repeat offender <laughs> in the parole board. I love that guy. <clears throat> um, anyway, so 
Hi, McDonough uh, gets arrested a lot, and as he gets arrested, fingerprinted, and mugshotted, uh, he meets Ed, played by Holly Hunter. Uh, she is a police officer who's in charge of taking the mugshots, and he just has like this instant love, uh, falling in love with her. And of course, she's a little bit charmed, but at the same time, He's a he's a he's a criminal. She's a cop, um. So she's resistant, but then one day he gets arrested, um. After she's broken up with her fiance, as she that. says, love that. my fiance, and hi, <laughs> you know, charms her um by just saying that he thinks her fiance is an idiot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the next time he gets arrested, he gives her a ring, and long story short. They get married, um, and they have a lovely new life together until we find that uh, Ed cannot get pregnant, and she really wants a baby. So what happens then, John? Well, when they find out that High Seed could not find purchase... (laughs) I believe I, I'm yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, Baron, Baron, I'm Baron. Was it she Rocky? Did he said Rocky. I he might say Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. I. So after they find out that they're unable to have kids on their own, um, they go into a deep depression, and what they find is that there are the Arizona quints. Um, this this you know, uh, well-to-do family, um, has these children. You know they've got these. Uh, they get these five kids. Quince, Quince is five. Yeah, five. five yeah. yeah. So uh, they've they've got these five children, and they're quoted in the newspaper as saying, "They're more than we can handle," and so they take this as a sign that they should actually take one of these kids from this family, and uh, the husband owns a business called Unpainted Arizona which is all uh, furniture that is unpainted. Um, and he does well, as you can tell. And his name is actually Nathan Arizona. His name's actually Nathan Huffines. It's Nathan Huffines, but you wouldn't buy furniture, he says, from unpainted Huffines. <laughs> so he changes to Nathan Arizona, yeah. Yeah, so it's unpainted Arizona. Mm-hmm. They have five babies that supposedly they don't, they, what is it, they, it's more than they can handle. Yes. And uh, basically that leads into an amazing sequence where Nicolas Cage breaks into this nice home um, to to grab one of these toddlers, as Holly Hunter's character keeps calling him a toddler, and, uh, you know, take him home with them. Well, once they get him home, uh, they set up, and it isn't long before things start going very badly. Mm-hmm. And... The first bad thing that happens is that has, I guess we want to call them friends. Yes. Gail and Evel. Evel. Yes. Um, show up. They've broken out of prison and they need somewhere to stay. And they've showed up to stay with Hi and Ed. Ed doesn't love this. Hi just doesn't want his friends to be mad at him. And the other bad thing is that this Tex Cobb character i guess um leonard smalls yes is kind of a bounty hunter that gets on 
their trail. Um, so they're in trouble. And then also these friends come by, played by Sam McMurray and Francis McDormand. Um, there's some incidents that happen there where things go bad as well. And it all kind of leads around to them not being able to keep the baby uh, and having to give him back. And then, you know, of, of course, they're depressed again. They feel that their marriage is failing. Um, but the end of the movie, major spoiler, is that Hi has a dream in which he sees a vision of himself and Ed as an old married couple with their children and grandchildren with them. And it's a really nice ending that wraps everything up and shows that maybe you can get you can't always get what you want when you want it but eventually things work out for the best is the message i take from it well that's that's absolutely my favorite part of the movie is the ending and just this wonderful wonderful dream and this hope that he has and you just that that's what really seals the deal for me with this being a comfort film is that you have the this story, you know, that is is funny, but at the same time, you know, a couple that really wants to have a child, they can't have a child on their own, they're unable to adopt because the the husband is a criminal. They end up you know in a situation where where they're not able to do what they want and they're they're falling apart. And you know, people can't go out and steal babies, uh, you know, as as the film shows us and also as we just know. But the, <laughs> as we watch the film and we go through the whole thing, you feel that these guys still have a chance, that there is something that's going to pull through for them. You're, you're rooting for them. You believe in them. And that is just, it's wonderful. It's like a fairy tale. My, I love all the voiceover that a Nicolas Cage does in this film, it feels like a, a storybook. And that, to me, is just is just so different. Like, when I think of Nicolas Cage, I don't, I don't think about this very... Uh, it, it's just, it's so, it's so tender. It, it, it's so honest. I think about Nicolas Cage as, like, a cool guy. I think about, him like, Ghost Rider or... <laughs> yeah. You know, something different. I don't think about him, you know, like this. And it, it just really, I don't know, it, it really it really touches you. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion in this. It's kind of surprising. Like, mm-hmm. you're not necessarily watching this and thinking it's going to be an emotional experience. But the scene where they're um, back at the Arizona house putting Nathan Jr. back. Mm-hmm. And Nathan Arizona comes upstairs to talk to them is a really emotional scene. And it, it was great. That actually struck me last night Yeah, um, as a big part of the movie that I don't think about, but I think it's one of the things that makes this a great movie Fully to agree. me. Yeah. I also was struck and I, I really think this kind of taps into what you're saying or relates in some way. You have these characters that aren't, you know, the best at anything. They're mm-hmm. kind of regular people, regular people that you wouldn't necessarily think twice about if you pass them in the store or something on the day-to-day. But the storytelling in this movie is in this really high kind of epic style. Yes. 
Um, and the voiceover contributes to that. And then also the way that High talks. Um, he kind of tells everything in kind of this high storytelling kind of way mm-hmm. that turns the simple story of simple people who kind of have had too much and need to do something into just this epic. And uh, I really loved that about it. I thought it was really cool. So, also, this movie just makes you laugh a ton. I mean, did you think about what your favorite line might be? Yeah. Um, again, this is a paraphrase, but my, my favorite part of the film, uh, well, favorite line, uh, is with uh, Gail and Evel, uh, these brothers. I believe their last name is Snote. Um, I think that's right. And they go to rob this this country bank the hayseed bank <laughs> yeah as they refer to it the hayseed bank and when they're inside of the bank evel refers to gail by his <laughs> actual name and he gets mad at him and he goes you know i, I told you don't use my real name and then evel goes oh oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to use your code name we're using code names. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I love that too. I mean, I think William Forsythe is kind of an unsung hero on this. Yes, like him and he and John Goodman together are great. And, and I think um, don't mean to cut you off. John Goodman is Gale, yeah. and William Forsythe is Evel. I don't remember if we said it. I'm sorry to cut yeah, you no, off. Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay, that's no. Thank you for clarifying that for sure. Yeah, I actually, uh, I think that, you know, when I was younger, I really understood John Goodman to be kind of the leader and, you know, felt like he was more important in that respect, you Mm -hmm. know, because he's like in charge of their little two-man team. But as I've gotten older, I actually really enjoy William Forsythe the most because he has like a weird innocence to him. That's really funny, and, and and the fact that, like, the both of them, who were just these hardened criminals, at one point, they take the baby to get the uh, ransom, or the reward money Yes. for the baby, and they both fall in love with this baby, too, um, and Evel just becomes, like, the baby's, like, extra mom or yeah. something, and he's very motherly toward the baby, and I just think it's so funny, uh, but yeah, he has this innocence, and when he does that... We're using code names. <laughs> it was really funny. We're using code names. Well, my favorite it. line goes back to the the scene where Nicolas Cage's character High is stealing Nathan Jr. And he's gone through like this crazy sequence uh, where the babies are running away. And I mean, I, I actually grew up with twin sisters and even just having two babies around there causing trouble and running off in opposite directions so having five i think this really captured what it must be like when you have five kids you're trying to wrangle um and so we have this really great scene and and finally uh at at almost being caught but not nicholas cage has managed to grab one of the babies in fact he had given up gone back to the car said i can't do it and Holly Hunter said one of my runner-up favorite lines, I need a toddler. <laughs> she says, I need a toddler. You go back in there and get me a baby. 
So she sends Hi back in. He gets a baby. He comes out. He's got this baby. And I have to, like, give major props to this baby actor. The baby is a great actor. Baby's fantastic. But, yeah. And, and, you know, Holly Hunter has got the baby. She's bonding with the baby. And Nicolas Cage says, I think I got the best one. (laughs) (laughs) Love that, too. Oh, I mean, just the idea that, you know, there's five babies and he's picked the best one. I just thought that was really funny. And he just has this sincerity when he says it that really makes me laugh. So. There's a real sincerity to the entire movie. Yes, there is. And that's, that's I think, what appeals so much is it, it just, it it has this, it has this hope. It, it has this, this feeling that anything can happen. Anything can work out. I mean, the idea of a criminal proposing to, you know, a police officer, right, when he's getting his his photos taken because he's going to jail, you know, and, and she, you know, falls in love with him just for seeing him these few moments. I mean, that's. That's like that's like Cinderella stuff right there. Yeah, you know, that's it not... is fairy tale esque. You were you nailed it with that. I think that it does have like this fairy tale kind of element. And the other thing that I'd say feeds into you know supporting your your statement there again is that there is kind of this dark undertone throughout, which there is in fairy tales too. So like fairy tales always have this happy ending, but there's like this darkness that can sometimes be there. And this was one of the things that I noticed this time that I don't think I've ever noticed before. There's at one point, um, Holly Hunter is singing to the baby. And she's actually singing a song about, and it's beautiful. Her voice is really nice and it sounds like this beautiful lullaby. But it's actually about a murderer being put to death on the scaffold. Didn't catch that. Yeah, no, I did this time and I never had before. I was going to look it up because it's a really pretty song. But she's singing this to a baby about, like, don't cry, you know, this murderer is going to be brought to justice, whatever. But it's somebody's child that's the murderer, I think. It's really weird. It's a really odd thing. But it works somehow. And that's what I feel like this whole movie has. You know, you just have these bad things that are happening, difficult situations that people are facing, Um, there's a lot of, like, real commentary here on poverty and the inability to rise out of your station, the inability to be able to become a regular person again after you've committed any sort of a crime, even if it's a Mm nonviolent. So, it's, there's a lot of weird kind of social commentary that I probably didn't realize was happening. Well, there's also a self-sabotage thing with High. Because when things get hard and they can't have the baby, he just wants to go yeah. and commit another robbery. He starts going back to the shortstop, which seems to be the same convenience store that he's robbing over and over. Which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think he just he keeps going back to the same place because that's you know that feels like home to him. And then yeah. when he gets stressed, Familiar. yes, and he gets stressed out later on. What does he do? He, he starts thinking about going back. And then he does. He yeah. does rob it because then we get that wonderful well, that's when they need the, huggy the diapers. Yes. Yeah, this is almost like uh this is like an amazing action sequence, uh, where he where High goes um to steal diapers from 
the convenience store. Um, he's really hit the edge of what he can handle. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, this is after they kidnapped the baby. This is after Gail and Evel show up and he and Ed, uh, Hi and Ed have been fighting about having Gail and Evel at the house. They spent the day with decent people, supposedly decent people, which I think is a real comment on what decent people actually are like. Right. The decent people are played by Sam McMurray, who is, I guess, High's boss. He's a foreman. Uh, yeah, he's the foreman at this plant where uh, High works in a factory putting holes in sheet metal. And his wife is Frances McDormand, and they have, like, five adopted kids who were absolute hell nightmares. One of whom, like, crayons fart on the wall and all caps. And... He learned his ABCs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So That's what the, that's you know. what the father says. But when, when uh, Sam McMurray's character goes out for a walk with High, he starts talking about, you know, how the way out of your you know, suburban ennui kind of feelings is by wife swapping, which I cannot stomach, uh, and he actually punches the foreman. He's going to get fired, he knows. Um, So all the stability that he's managed to scrabble up, which has been very hard fought. Oh, yeah. This did not come easy for them to have what High calls the salad days of their early marriage where they felt comfortable and happy with how things were going. He's about to lose all that. So, and he knows the baby needs diapers. So he goes back to what he's familiar with, the short stop convenience store to steal diapers. And while he's at it, clean out the register as well. There's also something I just thought about that I really had not thought about uh, until right now, which is when high is working, at the the factory you know his co-worker m emmett walsh just talks incessantly to him and it it's like it's loud you know it's obnoxious it's annoying you can tell that yahai doesn't really love it but he's just you know listening to the guy and doing his job and what's funny about this is, what I just thought about, is when High is in prison, okay, we see a sequence of him in prison, he's yeah. in bunk beds, and he's sitting on the lower bed, and there's a prisoner on the top bed. And the prisoner on the top bed, you know, is a much calmer guy, you know what I mean? It's like a different delivery, but it it's like the guy on the top bunk is pretty much having his own monologue as well so it's it's to say you know prison okay is like the same as your job in, in terms of the atmosphere in, in some in some way in some no, small I way i think that's i never noticed that before and i think that's a brilliant like thought that you've had here that it is exactly the same situation i actually want to go back to imdb yeah because i'm wondering i know the mm at walsh's character is called like um, ear bender, and I wonder if it's like um, factory ear bender or something like that. And I wonder if the other guy's named Prison Ear Bender, because there's got to be a clear link between these two guys. Because not only do you have that guy, but th- he's in prison twice with that guy, yep. and that guy is telling the same story both times. Yep. 
And then when you go to M.M. at Walsh at the factory, he's shown twice and he's telling the same story both oh, I times. Oh, I didn't think about that. That's, yeah. yeah, that's it's very cool. It's definitely, definitely saying that prison is, uh, that work is just another type of prison, which, um, yeah, it is. I can say that from experience. Does he even say that? I think High might actually have a line maybe like that in there. Maybe. I could be wrong. I don't know. Well, but... One thing is for sure, we'll definitely watch this movie again. For sure. I mean, yeah, there's no no question on that. And that's what we always do with these comfort film type movies. Well, with with speaking to the undertone, okay, this is kind of more of an obvious one. But it, you know, you have uh, the bounty hunter, uh, Leonard Smalls, played by Randall Tex Cobb, who is, you know, terrifying in all ways. Um. He says he has the nose of a hound dog, which is kind of funny, but he's very menacing. But um, what what I wanted to bring up is just a connection that I thought about. Okay, at the very end of the film, again, many spoilers here. At the end of the film, when Leonard Smalls dies, he explodes. Mm-hmm. Okay, we see a boot, and we also see these baby shoes. Now, what that reminded me of is the original Mad Max. Because do you remember they they show you like the the evil gang is chasing the mother and the child down the street and they don't show the actual murder. Mm. But they just show the baby shoes falling oh, to wow. the ground. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and yeah, this Leonard Small's character keeps being described as like a post-apocalyptic type person so he's like that definitely they they might have been thinking about that i mean when did the movie the timeline is right yeah the uh, mad max the first film was late 70s maybe 1980 mm-hmm. right right you know so it was it was before this because yeah, this was 87. 87 yeah so it was before and it's yeah he really looked like one of the 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 villains yeah. from the the first Oh yeah, definitely. Mad Max trilogy. He looks like he's been out in the desert for you know years. And he has the shotgun. The sawed-off shotgun was like the the deal yeah. that Mad Max had. Yeah. yeah. And then he had like the the black and the. Did he have cut-off sleeves in this? I can't. I feel re- like he did. I yeah. mean, I I don't remember a hundred percent, but it seems like he should have if he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting character. So. Any final thoughts? We probably are at the point of needing to wrap it up before we become the factory earbender. <laughs> just talk about the same things over and over. I don't want to be the factory earbender. <laughs> though I, I absolutely... The career of M.M. at Walsh, though, you would love to have. I would dance in the streets. <laughs> he is the uh, best. He's the one. He's like the supreme that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Like the, the same guy that can be in Blood Simple and Back to School. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a character actor right there. The best. Um, so we appreciate M.M. Walsh very much for that reason. I'd say in the end, I this is one that I was very happy to watch again, and I'm I'm even eager to watch it again because I keep getting more and more out of it. Yeah. You know, seeing it, you know, when I was a kid, like 10, 11 years old, and now, you know, I'm 44, right? It, you know, it, it's it's much different. When I was a kid and I first saw this movie, I couldn't really 
understand it. I, I, I didn't, I couldn't fully comprehend, you know, uh, wanting a child, wanting, you know, that because I mean, I was a kid myself, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're 10, 11, I mean, maybe some kids did, but I, I didn't think about being a father at that time. I didn't yeah. think about, you know, kind of having, um, this, this base, you know, being able to have, uh, a home, you know what yeah. I mean? Being able to have a future, yeah. being and able to have, we, we still don't, we didn't have kids. So we're some of the, you know, people who decided against it. But at the same time, you know, we've had situations in our life where we've known people at this point who really did want to have children and were having trouble or, you know, were pregnant and had a lot of trouble Yeah. Um, and things like this. So I think like, yeah, I'm definitely watching it this time, knowing that we were watching it to talk about it in this podcast. Yeah was a different experience too because I was looking at things in a different way uh, than I might have before. Um, I, I think that when I first confronted this movie as a kid, it was just with enjoyment. It was funny. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of real clowny stuff happening in this and yeah. the humor is very accessible even to somebody who's young may not understand all the jokes. You get the point. Um, whereas I think that the more meaningful undertone of this and the more meaningful message overall is something that I couldn't have gotten without living a little bit of life, which makes this a great movie to come back to yeah. again and again, because there's just a lot there that you can get out of it. It's well, And the other thing too, is for, for me as a kid watching this, the, you know, the, the humor you know, has this wonderful, uh, again, fairy tale, cartoonish quality to it. And at the time, you know, when I was growing up, the kind of things that, that I, I was watching were like all like these, you know, macho, you know, 80s action movies. You know, everybody was doing that, you know, with their dad, even, you know, at 10 or 11, you know, people were, were turning you on to that. I wanted it to be like more people just like kicking butt, you know, and like high is our hero and he's getting his butt kicked in all the time. Yeah. And I was just like, come on. Man. Although he does get a good poncho with Sam McMurray. He sure does. But it was like, I wanted him to just be kicking butt and taking names. You know what I mean? Kind and he's of like, almost getting beat up in like a, it is a cartoon way where it's like Bugs Bunny is like an instant black eye, you know, or something like this. Sure. So, yeah, it's it's great. But I love it now. I fully understand it. You know, there's, I mean, any Coen Brothers movie, I will watch and watch again. Yeah, I mean, talking about going back to us seeing more Nicolas Cage movies on this list, we're definitely going to see more Coen Brothers movies on this list, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Because we just really enjoy the way they tell a story, you know? It's, it's unique. You're going to get a real perspective on character. Um, and the story is pretty much always going to be really entertainingly told. Yes. Um, they'll take a very simple story and tell it in a really entertaining way. So definitely we'll see more of them on the list. We will. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up about Raising Arizona? I love 
Ah. <laughs> that's my thought. If you want to speak English, that would be just an English-speaking podcast. I am from an alien planet. Now, <laughs> Oops, I am. Well, now we know. All right, the secret. That out. explains a whole lot, guys. I've been married to this guy since 2005, I guess. Oh, wow. We're yeah. really bad at remembering when we got married. <laughs> I just was surprised again by that. So just Yeah, so, like, yeah, oh, wow. no, that's right. 16 years. And, uh, yeah. Just finding out that you're an alien. But that explains a lot. Yeah, it sure does. I'm a little different. I, um, no, I love this movie. I, I'm happy to watch this movie. And um, very happy to be getting to do this podcast yeah. with you. Oh, exactly. Same. Yes. We talk about movies all the time, whether anyone's listening or not. And, you know, after I re-listen to this, I'll see if anybody's going to listen to it or not. Cause... <laughs> We'll see if we're gonna let this one out of the out of the cave, um, but hopefully we do, and hopefully uh, you guys get some enjoyment out of it, and hopefully um, we come back a little bit better every single time. Um, and yeah, so this was uh, Comfort Films one, Raising Arizona. Next week or in two weeks, we're not sure yet. Mm -hmm. um, we'll come back and probably stretch the definition of what a comfort film can be when we discuss Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. I think. Um, unless we change our mind. So that was the the first episode of Comfort Films Raising Arizona. We hope that you enjoyed listening and we hope that uh, you'll come back in the future. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And stay comfy. Stay comfy. <laughs>